Welcome to Resource on the Go, a podcast from the National Sexual Violence Resource Center on understanding, responding to, and preventing sexual abuse and assault. My name is Louis Marvin, and I'm the training specialist at the National Sexual Violence Resource Center. This podcast is part of our Male Survivors series. Today, Emiliano Diaz de Leon joins me for a conversation on his experience training and supporting advocates in Texas as they do advocacy with male survivors. Emiliano is the Men's Engagement Specialist at TASA, the Texas Association Against Sexual Assault. Emiliano, thanks for being on the podcast. Why don't you start by telling us about your work at TASA, especially as it has to do with supporting advocates at sexual assault centers um, on how they work with, with male survivors. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, I, I work, uh, I, pro- I work uh, here in Texas at the Texas Association Against Sexual Assault as a men's engagement specialist. What that means is basically I provide training and technical assistance to rape crisis centers here in Texas. Uh, I am very fortunate that I get to work with a small group of rape crisis centers under a state, a state funded grant program called Block Grant. And so that includes 10 rape crisis centers that are spread out across the state, uh, specifically around engaging boys and men in violence prevention, as well as uh, enhancing services for male survivors of sexual violence. So a lot of this training and technical assistance uh, is really focused on just basic victim services. Um, for example, like hospital uh, accompaniment, hotline, uh, counseling, um, you know, et cetera, those kinds of basic services that most rape crisis centers uh, provide around the country. Um, and also enhancing services. So we think of that primarily as support groups, outreach, education, et cetera, for male survivors of sexual violence. And so um, those are sort of my two focus areas of really helping people think about both the prevention um, and the victim advocacy around uh, boys and men. That's great. It's, It's great to hear that you're doing work on, on both sides of things, the prevention and the services. I think that, you know, sometimes we, we think about these as totally separate, but it's, um, it's cool that you're engaging these centers on, on both topics. And, you know, in, in this project, we've been thinking a lot about how sometimes when we talk about men and sexual violence, we're kind of stuck in a place of engaging men and boys um, to, to be um, people who are good bystanders and in prevention prevention work, which is great and really important, and how there's also an opportunity to talk about men as victims and survivors as well. So you're doing you're doing all of that work in Texas, which is great to hear. So yeah, absolutely. I, I feel very I feel very fortunate to be able to do both things. And and you know I've been with Tasa now going on uh, 13 years, and um, and during that time I've you know been able to 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 do both and. Um, have really begun to spend more of my time doing victim advocacy uh, under this new under this grant program. Um, so that that to me is is really exciting um, to be able to help pe- people think through uh, what those services look like because we still have a long way uh, a long way to go amongst our almost ninety uh, rape crisis centers here in Texas. And so they're sort of like on a 
a spectrum in terms of services around male survivors. Um, and so some are some are doing better than others. Some haven't even gotten started. Um, and so, uh, you know, over the last 13 years, I've, I've I really have been working to bring everybody, uh, you know, bring everybody up uh, to that to that minimum, you know, sort of standards uh, of providing services to uh, to boys and men. Great. Well, it sounds like you have some insight that's going to be relevant to listeners who are approaching advocacy from from a broad range of experiences. So, so tell us what are some common needs that advocates that you've worked with? Um, what are some of the common needs that they have around working with male survivors? And uh, just delve into a little bit about how you how you go about working with them on meeting those needs. Yeah, a lot of folks need just the basic nuts and bolts of services, right? So what is what is that what does that even look like? Um, most of our rape crisis centers have done a tremendous job, uh, probably over the last five decades almost, because um, we have some centers that have been around from the very beginning of of the rape, the anti-rape movement, um, and so those are the centers that are doing really well, especially in our large metropolitan areas here in Texas and their services are, they're just enhancing services for male survivors. Um, and then we have a lot of centers in rural communities here in Texas um, that need a lot of support and, and technical assistance around just the basic nuts and bolts of what is, what does it take? What do you need to have in place in order to provide just basic services like hotline or hospital, hospital accompaniment, um, you know, just, counseling services, legal advocacy, um, all of those sort of things that we consider as just basic uh, rape crisis center services. And so we help folks uh, sort of make sure that they have everything in place to provide those services. Um, a lot of what I do is encouragement. You know, I think of myself as a cheerleader uh, for, for rape crisis centers, like I said, that are on that spectrum. Um, and, and really encouraging them, checking in with them, and just being um, be, just being present um, in their work and, and being accessible um, as they move through that continuum from from one end of just meeting those basic standards uh, and services to, like I said, enhancing services for 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 boys and men. A big part of uh, of that work includes overcoming boundaries, right? So when we think about uh, just how diverse the state is, um, both geographically and in terms of its makeup, um, that creates additional barriers for rape crisis centers. So uh, a lot of my work is really helping people think um, think about their population and about the audience that they want to serve. Um, especially if it's a culturally specific um, community um, or if they're working with an immigrant or refugee community or a community that speaks uh, a different language, right? Um, so it's really helping rape crisis centers sort of think through all of those uh, micro micro details in terms of really impact their, their community and really think through those things and, and work with them to overcome what could be barriers for them of providing uh, those services. And so, um, so that's, a, that's a big part of, 
of the work that I do. A lot of resource sharing, you know, as I as I come across both national, international resources around male survivors of sexual violence, whether it's research, whether it's curriculums, whether it's podcasts, whether it's articles, uh, PSAs, anything related to, to male survivors of sexual violence, I provide those types of resources uh, to, to our folks sort of on, a, on an ongoing basis. So that we are not just the only, uh, we don't consider ourselves the the only hub of training and technical assistance. There's a lot of really wonderful you know, organizations like Men Healing and MaleSurvivor.org and One in Six that provide additional training and technical assistance to folks. Um, and so we want to make sure that they have access and information regarding the different uh, the different uh, resources that are available to them. Um, so the way that I do that work. Um, it's just through a lot of conversations, right? We build, uh, I build uh, relationships with folks. And, and a lot of that work has been, um, you know, COVID has really impacted our ability to travel and to meet with people in person when that's generally how, um, how we like to operate because we're such a large state. It does require for us to, to, to be with people. And so we, we have moved a lot of that engagement online uh, whether it's through email or Zoom meetings or, um, you know, hopefully we'll get to a place where we can meet with people in person, meet with their staff, provide training and technical assistance in groups of advocates and volunteers, um, as well as individual individuals, right, which, uh, which is part of our ongoing work with folks. We do a lot of group technical assistance. So uh, every month I hold what I call an office space. Uh, for this small group of grantees where they can just, you know, show up between a couple hours and, and, and chat about how things are going for them personally so that they can get the self-care that they need, but also that they have a space where they can address the technical issues and the technical questions that they have about the grant program, about providing services to male survivors. Um, and so we have found that to be, uh, I have found that to be extremely effective um, during during this time, we're hoping to continue that beyond COVID. Um, of course, we provide a lot of uh, training at our state conference um, to victim advocates. Uh, we we try to introduce additional uh, workshops around different male survivor issues. So, for example, at our upcoming virtual state conference uh, this summer, I'm going to be talking a little bit about how we can use the, the Texas Men's Story Project um, to, to reach male survivors uh, of sexual violence, to engage in those community conversations uh, about, about that issue. And then of course we do webinars. Um, we use a lot of social media. We have a pretty large social media following. So we use that to engage our members. Thanks, you mentioned those calls that you're having with advocates, are there any um, common questions that come up around working with male survivors, whether in COVID or or not COVID specific. But are there like are there any um, are there any topics that you are able to share and uh, to let our our advocate listeners and and others know about kind of how you and the group have have worked through those those questions? Yeah. So one of the most common questions that I get around prevention and as as well as around victim advocacy with boys and men. Is well, I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, most of our folks are are female identified here in Texas, 
uh, our victim advocates, our volunteers uh, that work with victims and survivors. And so I get that question a lot. It's like, well, um, maybe I shouldn't be working with with male survivors because I'm not a man uh, or because I'm not a boy, right? Like I don't have that lived experience. And and so we, we that that I think is probably the most common thing that I hear from victim advocates, right? And and I tell them all the time, it doesn't like male survivors don't care your your gender. Um, they just care that you're you that you're coming with empathy and an open heart and an open mind in terms of their experiences. So I think there's there's a wonderful desire on the part of most victim advocates that I've encountered in my work that they just they they just want to do like they want to do good by by boys and men, right? And and they want to um, provide the same level of victim services that they provide to girls and women. They want to provide those to, to boys and men. They just don't know how to get there, right? It's because it, you you, it, it doesn't look the same. It, it, it is different, uh, but it's also similar in some ways, uh, but it is different. And I think it's helping people recognize how it's different and how it's similar and, and, and really uh, working through the, 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 how the strategy might look different from 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 our work with um, with with female identified survivors. So, um, yeah, but I recognize again that's that's long term work for me um, because you know we also have encounter a tremendous amount of turnover in the field, and so uh, we're always constantly having to retrain and to to develop both new advocates, right? There are a lot of folks who are coming into the field that are fairly new to the issues of sexual violence, uh, even more new to the issue of providing services to boys and men. Thanks, Emiliano. You know, it sounds like you're saying that advocates who are trained to work with survivors have really great skills that they're able to use to work with male survivors or survivors of any gender, and also that there might be some capacity building that needs to happen around meeting some of the distinct needs that male survivors may have. And that that theme really connects with um, a lot of the the things that we're talking about in this project. So, so what are your what's your advice to programs then that um, maybe the program is starting to think about some of the distinct needs of male survivors? How might that program adjust their existing advocacy um, or start new services to to meet those needs of male survivors that might be might be distinct or might need to happen in a new or slightly different way? Yeah, I would definitely, you know, acknowledge the willingness to explore the distinct needs of male survivors, right? Like that, the fact that you would even sort of come to me, <laughs> you know, or come to us at, 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 at the coalition, right? Um, around meeting this particular need is a huge step, right? Like the, our centers are, you know, their capacity is already pulled. I mean, in, in so many ways, especially now during COVID, um, and just all the other, like the, the the daily crises of working in a center, right? I know from personal experience how how difficult uh, and challenging that can be. Just providing services on a daily basis and not even thinking about getting accessing professional development or accessing technical assistance. Like I, <laughs> it was, 
Yeah, actually, I, I didn't attend the state conference, our state conference until actually after I left TASA. I mean, after I left, left my local rape crisis center, I'm sorry. Um, so, so sort of as an example, right? Like that, the people, that that most folks that are on the front lines, um, you know, providing service don't have the time to make a phone call or to be able to access, uh, you know, the kind of training or technical assistance that we offer. So um, that's why I think it's really important to just go to the source in terms of asking male survivors what support you need, right? What support do they need? Um, and a lot of the ways that we do that is by just like I said, asking, <laughs> um, opening ourselves to honest and sometimes really um, feedback that we don't like, we don't want to hear, right? Uh, because it's not always going to be really, it's not going to include positive experiences. So surveys, focus groups, et cetera, those kinds of things where we are going to former clients or current clients and, and um, asking them about their experiences of services that that, that you provide, um, and 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 being transparent about about that data that you're receiving, right? In terms of creating a report and uh, sharing that uh, with with your board of directors and uh, with your funders. I mean, so I think, but because that data is is really important to to show in terms of a need. Of, the need for services, but also a need for additional funding uh, for for staff or materials or uh, outreach efforts, those kinds of things. That's why that data is so so important, and that it needs to come directly from uh, your your clients themselves. Um, I think it's also really important to offer support services and information online. I think most most male survivors that I've encountered in my work uh, have have come to uh, to healing work, right? To begin their journey, be because they've been able to access some service online, whether it's hotline services online, uh, whether it's some you know therapeutic services online, support groups online. Um, I I can't tell you in this particular day and age in terms of access, being able to access information and resources uh, primarily on our phones, that that's so critical is that we're able to provide those kinds of services because they may be reluctant to come into your office. Most of our centers here in Texas, uh, I will speak for the centers here in Texas, are called women's centers, right? Or they have women in the title of, of their organization. And so, um, Boys and men in our, you know, in those communities, don't think that the, the the women's center is for them, right? That their services are accessible to them, or for them, uh, because of the, just the name of the organization. And so we, you know, I think talk about like just a basic, you know, issue to address. Like if we can address that issue with folks, and and we have worked with a number of centers to help them think about. The, the barrier that that creates for male survivors uh, in, in, in their experiences, you know, the experience of centers who have worked through that process because there are challenges, both fiscal challenges and reputational challenges, like sort of reinventing yourself, rebranding yourself. There's all the additional challenges that come with changing their name that they've had for, for some of our centers, like I said, almost 50 years. Um, but when they do that, and I'll use, I'll use Austin, for example, here in Austin, Texas, uh, 
the centers were called the Center for Battered Women and the Austin Rape Crisis Center, right? And so when they merged, um, they became safe place. And once there was an, a merger here in Austin, it, it changed the whole like trajectory of the organization, right? Um, because they were able to expand their services to include all types of survivors of all kinds of violence and crime. Um, in addition to male survivors, right? Like the idea of having a safe place, like that's a place I can go to. I wasn't sure about the Battered Women's Center because I'm not a battered woman, um, but I am a male survivor of sexual violence or sexual abuse, but that's not a place where I could go. But now, because it's called safe, the, the idea uh, of the services that they provide are sort of a core part of uh, their name. Just their name alone has, has made a, a tremendous impact uh, to their ability to reach uh, boys and men who are survivors of sexual violence or sexual abuse. And, and they have seen, you know, they have seen those services increase uh, since since they merged with the, the local rape crisis center years ago. So that I think is an example of um, of how important, how critical it is for us to do just a lot of internal organizational reflection. And, but it's also a process that they don't have to work through alone. That's, that's, you know, our, we, we are here to uh, walk people through uh, all of this, right? So they're never alone in terms of making these um, decisions. All of that, again, is, is part of what we offer to our member, uh, our member organizations. And um, I, I think it's just critical for folks to think about what that looks like uh, in terms of providing services and information online. Um, yeah. Thanks. I, I appreciate you mentioning the concept of a name change and how re-envisioning a name can help reach men, but it doesn't have to be specifically about that. It can really be also a matter of thinking really broadly about who's in one's community and how they can they can access services. So it doesn't need to be, you know, one group against another. It can be a way of really elevating visibility and services for everyone. Emiliano, can you think of any other examples of a program that you've seen and maybe worked with? Maybe they've really stepped back and re-envisioned how they provided services to male survivors. And what did they do to get there? And how, how have male survivors responded? Um. You know, I definitely want to give love to 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 save here in Austin. Um, that's where I got my start as a volunteer and um, as a victim advocate. And so, um, I definitely want to show them some love on this podcast in terms of uh, as a model uh, a model program. In terms of, I encourage everyone to explore their website and to get a really good sense of the kind of services that they're providing because I think. Uh, for such a large metropolitan area, you know, Austin, Austin, Texas is the capital of the capital of the state, and they're one of the most prominent, one of the largest, uh, you know, organizations, um, membership organizations here at TASA, and so they're providing phenomenal services, and they really. Um, they they really have some really innovative, they're doing some really innovative work in outreach um, and education um, services, especially when it comes to support groups. Um, you know, they have enough interest, you know, they're a really great example of providing culturally specific 
and language accessible services. And so there's a large uh, deaf and hard of hearing community here and they provide those services uh, to survivors, to male survivors. They have uh, groups available in Spanish. Um, so, you know, I mean, the, 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 those are some of the kinds of examples that really come to mind in terms of really looking at your population and identifying the needs. And, and, and it is also an issue of resources, right? But CASB, uh, the Center Against Sexual and Family Violence, is another example of like, they're really at the cusp of really figuring out what that looks like, right? Um, and they have, you know, a predominantly Latino they, they serve a predominantly Latino community and they are on the border between uh, Texas and Juarez. And so they, they serve a lot of immigrants and they provide a lot of services in Spanish. And um, a lot of their services are culturally specific to that community um, and, and to that, that very unique geographic area of the state. Uh, because unfortunately, there are no, like the closest rape crisis center is hundreds of miles away. And, and they serve a large population. Um, and so again, they, they, they're thinking really creatively about what does that look like? What is the, what is the outreach? What do the services look like? Um, they, they've done a really great job of recruiting and um, maintaining male advocates. Um, and not just but a diverse group of male advocates. I think that's important too. One of the things we haven't talked about was just recruiting a diverse group of male advocates that look like your community. Um, and, and Cassie has done a fantastic job of really being intentional and thoughtful about the types, the type of men, older, younger, um, men from all different types of backgrounds and um, experiences um, sexual orientation, right? I think all of those things are, are critical when you're trying to reach, you know, uh, a particular community. And so they're doing some really great work with the LGBTQ community and um, male survivors in that community, right? And so in terms of their outreach and their education, the services that they're providing, who's providing those services? And then on top of providing those services to folks who are undocumented, uh, who are Spanish speaking, right? So we're talking about three layers of sort of different types of experiences um, that they come to the center with, right? And so I think I think they couldn't the centers couldn't be different, <laughs> more different. Um, and so I'll, I'll I'll use those two examples. But there's a handful of Texas rape crisis centers that have taken a, a hard, honest look uh, at the gaps in services for male survivors of sexual violence. I think that's so important is that we just reflect and have honest conversations internally as an organization about the services that we're providing to male survivors. And, and they don't have to do that alone. Thanks, Emiliano. Finally, I just, I wonder if you could talk with us a little bit about how you talk with advocates who may have in their lives been victimized by men um, and are, are, you know, living that, ha have that lived experience and are maybe bring that to their work with, with survivors. How do you talk with advocates who've had those experiences about vicarious trauma that comes up in providing services to men? 
Yeah, to 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 be honest, you know, I I know this situation really well as a survivor of male violence, right? And as a victim advocate. So, you know, <laughs> this particular question is very personal for me in terms of my experience of men's violence um, um, that really brought me to this work, right? It was it was because of my experiences. Uh, of men's violence, um, of being a survivor, um, that ultimately led me into, led me to this work. Um, and so when I first started as a volunteer and, and as a victim advocate, I was really reluctant to see men um, as, just as allies. Um, I, 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 I sort of struggled with seeing men um, primarily as offenders, as perpetrators, right, of, of violence and abuse. And so I, even being, identifying as a man, um, I was reluctant to, to work uh, with, with, with other, especially with adult men. Like I had no problem working with boys. Like that was a, I started as a, a volunteer children's advocate and that was how I be, came into the work as a children's advocate. So my work with boys felt felt safe, right? It, I was really comfortable doing that work because I recognized my experiences through them in a lot of ways um, as survivors, and so I was really comfortable with working with 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 boys. When it came to adult men, when it came to taking hotline calls from adult men, when it came to engaging adults in the community, like adult men in the community, or um, adult men who are clients or who are survivors, it was much harder for me to uh, to sort of forget my experiences of violence at the hands of men who looked uh, a lot like those men, right? Uh, that, and so it, it took me a long time and a lot of support from my mentors, from women and um, to, to really work through those those feelings, right? That we, the 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 feelings of uh, pain and um, reluctance and mistrust that I had um, of of men, and um, only because of their lived experiences, right? Because um, they had worked through their own um, vicarious trauma. Um, and so without without their their guidance, I don't think I would have I would be able to do this the work that I do today, right? Because I I, I really had to overcome um, the feelings that were wrapped up in uh, with my own trauma, and um, and that was a long difficult process, right? Um, and I was reluctant to just to get it started. <laughs> I was just like, well, why do I care? Uh, you know, like I'm happy just working with, with female identified folks and with children. Like <laughs> I, I don't need to work with men, right? Um, but I think as I, as I worked through those feelings um, and as I began to experience men, all kinds of men, um, both men as survivors and men who we're perpetrators, right? Because you, at, at, when you're at a center, you're going to get calls from both. And so as I 
acquired that experience as I experienced, um, had those encounters, I think I began to change my attitude, right? And I began to work through my feelings in, in a very public and private way, right? Like it, it, it really, it, it, it's so important. Uh, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the for the experience of uh, you know because I can help folks work through that as well, right? So now I'm in the position that that the women who mentored me really early on as a victim advocate, now I'm in a position to to provide that kind that same kind of support and encouragement and show that kind of empathy uh, to victim advocates who are who are experiencing the same. Um, Sort of trauma uh, from 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 working with men. Um, I, I can't tell you how grateful that I had such an amazing supervisor. Um, you know, at Safe when I first started, because it it really it really made a difference. Because I could I could I could walk into her office and and talk about what was coming up for me, right? What I what I was experienced from doing the work. And uh, that was so important to be able to have that kind of support from both my supervisor and from the organization, right? Um, and, and where they made self-care um, a priority and they still do, you know? And I, and I think that's one of the things that I, I really have prioritized that I encourage victim advocates to prioritize in their own lives. A lot of our anxiety around providing services is because we don't feel like we we have enough information. We don't have enough training. We don't have enough. Uh, we don't even have the capacity, right? Um, so I think it's really important that you just check in with folks uh, all the time. Like there's, no, you know, I I think that's what helped me work through all of this was that I was not working through it alone, that I knew that there were other victim advocates that were working through their own trauma, their own experiences of sexual violence, their own experiences of domestic violence, their own experiences of child sexual abuse, right? Uh, and, and unfortunately, I, I to this day, I continue to, to encounter that and most, of, most victim advocates come to the work because they've been, impacted personally uh, by this issue of, by the issue of sexual violence in some way, right? Um, and, you know, I use a good, I use an example of that, right? Like I didn't realize watching a teacher on, on Hulu was gonna bring up so much for me. Um, and I encourage folks to check out the series. Uh, I would provide a trigger warning that it's about uh, I, I, a, a a young man who is sexually abused by his teacher. And so, but as I was watching the series, I, I kept on, I kept on, it reminded me a lot of things of things that I experienced and witnessed when I was a boy in, in, in high school. And it also reminded me a lot of, uh, it, it triggered a lot of folks that I was, that, that I was engaging with online on social media around the series. And I think, again, we don't realize, like, you don't know when vicarious trauma is going to come up for you. <laughs> like, uh, it could be a smell, it could be a sound, it could be, it could be a show. And I, I think it's really important 
because healing work is not just like I'm over and done with, right? Like that trauma, you know, what we understand as trauma is that it lives in our body, right? And it's it's going to continuously come up. Uh, we're going to be triggered in some way. And so I know that I have to, this has been ongoing for me. So I re- that's why I really appreciate this question because I think it's important for us to acknowledge and to appreciate the journey that we're on uh, and that you are not alone. And regardless of where you are on that journey, it is so important to just take that step of, of acknowledging that, that you're living with vicarious trauma and that you take care of yourself. And I wish, um, I wish I had, to be honest, I wish I had done a better job of taking care of myself. Um, and, you know, I, after decades of doing this, of doing victim advocacy, I was toast because I, 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 I didn't take better care of myself. And so if you're a victim advocate and you're listening to this podcast, I really encourage you to take care of yourself. Self-care is so critical and it's so important for you to, to, to do the healing work and, and to know that um, you're not alone and that your organization should be the source of, of healing for you. It, it should be, and, and we should uh, expect uh, our organizations to support us as we work through that, that, that healing process, right? So um, know that you're not alone and that, um, and that there are a lot of folks, uh, including me, that are ready to support you and encourage you as you're sort of working through that process, right? Um, and I know that because I experienced that, right? And so, you know, I feel like it's it's really important for folks that have uh, that have have done the work to support work to support folks who are just getting started, um, you know, in this work and. Uh, so that you can do this work long term, a lot longer than I I did, and so, um, yeah, it, it's it's so important, and um, I hope that folks uh, I hope folks found that helpful. Yeah, Emiliano, thank you so much for that offering, and um, I really appreciate you joining us today and getting into so much of your personal and professional experience and um, as it turns out how those two connect so so thank you so much Miliana will be back to talk about a project he worked on that engaged male survivors to tell their stories and lessons that he learned from that project we also invite listeners to learn more about working with male survivors by checking out the links in the show notes Thanks for listening to this episode of Resource on the Go. For more resources and information about understanding, responding to, and preventing sexual assault, visit our website at www.nsvrc.org. You can also get in touch with us by emailing resources at nsvrc.org.